The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon live from the DraftKings Sportsbook at Wild Rose Studios. This is 1460 KXNO. Keep up with KXNO on Twitter and Facebook. Go to KXNO.com to learn more from 1460 KXNO. Hi, right, welcome back into the 11 o'clock hour. Miller & Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Uh, coming up, uh, Wade Looking, Wade Looking Bill, former Hawkeye, will opine on what he's seen from the Hawks so far. Uh, and then uh, Alex Halstead, CycloneAlert.com. We'll get the uh, latest on Iowa State. Of course, they play Seton Hall on Sunday night. ESPN2, I believe, has the coverage of that one. Off to Chicago we go. Speaking of college basketball, our next guest actually rushed the court after DePaul knocked off Texas Tech in overtime. Uh, Cappy, uh, great to see that DePaul basketball, meaning uh, moving the needle again in the Windy City and uh, quite an atmosphere. Saw the overtime last night. Pretty good atmosphere, no doubt about it. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I had a blast. I mean, you know, I wasn't there to work. I wasn't there to cover it. I didn't do any press conference. I simply went with one of my best friends, and we had two amazing seats right down on the floor, and we had a great time. It was spectacular. Cappy, the uh, Bulls are, of course, terrible. The Blackhawks are rebuilding. Wintertime in Chicago, not exactly good. DePaul used to be a big thing. What can this turn into, maybe just for this year? Not taking a, a wide-ranging view of it here, but how big could DePaul basketball be if they continue to win games and play well come Big East time? Oh, I think it could rekindle a lot of the memories of the, you know, 79 when they went to the Final Four and the run through the 80s when they were number one multiple times uh, during that you know decade, and I was coaching against them. Joey Myers' mm. first game ever as the head coach, I was on the other bench, and we were twenty. Uh, this was my introduction to sports gambling. You guys <laughs> laugh. Okay, so we played DePaul. They're number one in the country. We're at then the Rosemont Horizon, now called Allstate Arena, and we lose. I think it was fifty-eight, fifty-seven. We had an open look from one of our best shooters, and he missed it and we lose. And we're devastated. Because we thought going in, we had Kenny Battle as a freshman, we had all these young players, and we thought, we can beat that team. We were 24-point underdogs. It's Joey's first game ever. DePaul's a household name. We lose. We're coming off the court, and I'm crushed. Crushed! And I see our biggest booster, may he rest in peace, and I'm just mad. He's like, what are you mad about? I said, what am I mad about? We had them. We could have beaten that team. And we made a couple keyers down the stretch. We missed a shot. We lose. He's like, kid, I had the Northern plus 24. Relax. We're good. <laughs> I'm like, you what? He had bet on the Huskies. And uh, that was my introduction to sports game. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, a lot of money is going to be bet on Thursday night football tonight, Cap. Uh, two uh, marquee brands. Uh, it's the Bears. It's the Cowboys. They're both 6-6. Six and six. It kind of feels like, well, maybe not an elimination game because the Cowboys, after all, play in the NFC East. But for the Bears to have any hope, Cap, and there is still hope, slim as it may be, they have to win this football game tonight. Don't you see it that way? Oh, 100%. They have to win tonight. It's a playoff game. You know, these guys here at radio who like to give me a hard time every day on the air. They were laughing at me because I said yesterday, yeah, Thursday, playoff football in Chicago. And there's <laughs> What are you talking about, playoff football? And I said, yeah, it's a playoff game. Win, 
or you could basically forget, barring mm-hmm. a fluke, you can forget going to the playoffs. But take them one, one snap, one play, one game at a time, go out and find a way to beat an okay Dallas team. It's not like Tom Brady and the Patriots of seven years ago are rolling in here tonight. They're okay. Go out and take care of business. Let Mitchell Trubisky continue to show improvement. Let your defense play the way they can play. And send Dallas back home without, without a win. And all of a sudden, don't let them win tonight now. Don't let us win tonight. Because next week, Packer week, will be lit. You mentioned Mitchell Trubisky coming off uh, certainly one of his best games of the season. That fourth quarter, after the interception, he was great. Hit 10 of 11, over 150 yards in that one, and a perfect QB rating. A sign of things to come for Mitchell Trubisky, or uh, he was going against the one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL and the Lions. Let's not read too much into it. Yeah, you know, that's the take that I hear from... You know, Pat Boyle and my guys here, Danny and Chris, who was the Lions? So guess what? I looked at the numbers for Patrick Mahomes against the Lions. They weren't very impressive. Uh, I think it was Aaron Rodgers' numbers. Not as good as Trubisky's. Again, I'm not telling you Mitchell Trubisky's better than those two guys. All I'm telling you is these are NFL players he's going up against. And when he has to drop a ball over the top of the defender to Jesper Horstedt, he did it. When he had to make a, pa- a throw on third and five on a 90-yard drive to win the game and over the top of Justin Coleman, who's one of the better cover corners in the NFC, to Anthony Miller, he did it. When he had to throw the ball over the top down the right sideline to the three-yard line, Anthony Miller, he did it. So is he a perfect quarterback? Obviously not. Does he have a long way to go? Yes. But I don't put as much in that, oh, it's the Lions or it's the Giants. You still have to go out and perform against guys who are also getting paid. Hmm. Cap, you mentioned Anthony Miller a couple of times there. I thought that maybe that was his best game as a pro. Uh, high expectations coming out of Memphis. Uh, is he starting to move forward in his development? Cap, last week was very encouraging. Yeah, he looks much better. Uh, they they had had some issues with him and his route running and his knowledge of the route tree. And you know, Matt Nagy uh, in the L.A. Rams game was quick to say, hey, that interception that was tipped off Anthony's hand, that's not on Mitch because he threw it where he was supposed to, the 12-yard route, and Anthony ran it to 14. And people are like, well, can't Mitch adjust? Well, from what Matt said, the ball's out of Mitch's hands before Anthony ever makes his break. It's I'm throwing to that spot. Let the ball go, and you got to be there, kid, and you got to catch it. And he's two yards too deep, puts his hand up, trying to make the catch because the ball's at one spot, he's at another, and it gets picked off. Again, they got to get on the same page. Mitch has to be better. Everybody's got to be better. But I think we've seen progress. Now we got to see it tonight against a better opponent. Mark Helfrich, the uh, new offensive coordinator. It's still Nagy out there making the play calls, but maligned in Chicago, a guy, you know, I, I saw a connection with him in Mariota, his college coach, was Helfrich, and a possibility of maybe a reunion happening in Chicago coming up this season. But thoughts on him, and if maybe he could be a guy this offseason that's one of the scapegoats if things go south. You know, Mark doesn't call the plays. I don't know. If you're going to bring someone else in here to call plays, okay. I guess that's, you know, to be determined. Matt has always said, I was brought here to call the plays as the head coach, and that's what my plan is. So, no, I'm not giving up play calling. Um, 
Maybe that happens if they really struggle here in the last four. But if you fire Mark Helfrich, unless it is someone to be basically the architect of the offense and that Matt's just going to take a more supervisory role, what are we doing here then? Are we just changing the deck chairs on the Titanic? It's like firing Gar Foreman but keeping Jim Boylan and John Paxson and not changing the players. Is that really going to move the needle? I don't think so. Mm. David Kaplan is our guest. He's brought to us by Centurion Stone of Iowa, centurionstoneofiowa.com. Cap, let's move to baseball. The White Sox have made a ton of headlines. Let's start there. They deserve it. So what they've done uh, in the offseason, they're spending money. They apparently see that their team is on the cusp, that division may be opening up with Cleveland seemingly taking a couple of steps back. Uh, They're right in on uh, Zach Wheeler, I guess, right to the bitter end. In fact, may have offered him more money. Uh, than he would sign with with the Phillies. Good to see the White Sox are open for business. Yeah, it was great to see the White Sox are open for business. Um, They did have, from what we were told, and Chuck Garfine from our place at NBC actually had a confirmation that they offered north of $120 million and that the the, uh, kid Wheeler said, look, I'm getting married New Year's Eve. My fiance's from New Jersey. It's easy to get to the games and family to see us, so no, uh, didn't matter. I was told by someone last night, they could have gone to 130. He wasn't coming. Mm. It's not a shot at the White Sox. More, that's where he wanted to be. Garrett Cole still available along with Steven Strasburg. Those will be the two big names. Of that next tier, though, of guys still available, uh, a Ryu, formerly of the Dodgers, Keuchel, Pineda, Alex Wood, guys like that. Anybody that the White Sox are really targeting, or they're just looking for help, and whatever whatever direction it's going to be, it'll be somebody. Any names for us? For the White Sox? Yes. Yeah, I think they're going to be in play on Madison Bumgarner. I do. I think they're going to try and see if they can use some prospect capital. I don't see them being in play for one of the, you know, Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, I just don't see them spending that kind of money. I don't. I think they'll spend, but I think to give a seven, eight-year deal, which is what we're hearing some of these guys want, mm-hmm. I just don't see Jerry Reinsdorf believing in that philosophy. And I'm not saying he's wrong. He had always been that he didn't believe in anything longer than a three- or four-year deal for any pitcher, and he got talked into a pitcher by the name of Jamie Navarro, if you remember I that. I do. And they said, we got to go to five to get him. Okay, do it. And then they regretted it almost as soon as they signed it. So, look, the game has changed. The money has changed. So they're going to have to do certain things. But I just would be very, very surprised if you ended up seeing them spending 200 and some million on a pitch. Cap, in the sake of uh, saving time, since you've got a show coming up, two and one here for you, were you surprised Cole Hamels got $18 million? And then looking back at Addison Russell, he'll always have the 2016, the World Series champion. He's a part of that team. He drove in 95 runs. Uh, he played a significant role uh, in bringing a title to the north side of Chicago. Hamels, and how will you remember Addison Russell? Um, I'll remember Addison Russell as a very sad story because he could have been so much more. But I will also remember game six when he drove in, what, six runs in the first three innings and the Cubs won nine to three and set up that epic game seven. Uh, I'll never forget that night in Cleveland with Todd Hollinsworth watching that going, oh, my God, 
this guy's driven in six already. We're in the third inning. Right. So that one I certainly will remember. He had a diving play behind second to end the Cardinal game one day and flipped it to Baez covering second base and ended the ball game, and it would have tied it. It would have been a hit to the gap. So I'll remember those plays. I'll also look at him as a cautionary tale of, you know, guys who don't live their life off the field the right way, it will catch up with you. In terms of Cole Hamels, uh, I guess I'm not surprised that he got that money. I wouldn't have given him that money. It's a guy that had an oblique injury and then admitted he rushed back too soon. He's 35. For the Braves, they're in a different place than where the Cubs are. The Cubs are not all in to try and win this year. Could they catch lightning in a bottle? Yeah. But the Braves are in it to win it. they got all these great young players, and they need a veteran presence. They've got nothing but money down there. So I guess Cole told Chuck Garfine yesterday when he reached him, and so what happened with the White Sox? He's like, kid, I had a bunch of teams after me. No one was close to the $18 million mm. offer. No one. Cap now second base open with the uh, departure of Addison Russell. David Bodie's going to be there. Nico Horner, Ian Happ. We live in a bizarre world, and you can say right now, one of these three guys is going to play 140 games at second base. Who would be your choice of those three to play those 140? Probably Nico Horner. I'm not a huge Ian Happ guy in terms of a second baseman. Mm-hmm. I think he's a really good, you know, play a game at second, play a couple games in the outfield, left, center, right, wherever you put him. He'll give you a little pop. I'm not a huge Ian Happ guy that, oh, my God, he's a winning player, but he's a talented guy. I think there's a role for a guy like that. So is Ben Zobris coming back? There's some talk Ben wants to come back and play. So if that's the case, if Ben truly does want to come back, yeah, then I would have no problem using him a little bit and then using Nico Horner there. Cap, will uh, run you down. You're going to be at the winter meetings in San Diego next week, are you? I will absolutely be at the winter meetings, and I am looking forward to – I used to go every year yeah. for God, probably 15 years, and then I did that. For whatever reason, NBC was sending Chuck to cover the White Sox and Tony Andraki for our digital side uh, for the Cubs, and I was doing the shows back here, and now they stepped up and said, hey, let's do the show live from mm-hmm. there. I'm like, done. I'm in. So – Looking forward to it. Cap, we look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you, David Kaplan. Appreciate it. You guys have a wonderful day, by the way. Who are you picking tonight? Bears? Cowboys? I'm on the Cowboys. <laughs> Cap, you know I'm a Bears fan. Really? And I'm... you're laying the three, huh? Yes, I'm going to do so. How about you? Uh, I have the Bears plus the points. Trent? Cowboys. I'm going to lay it tonight. That's a, that's a Bears fan talking yeah. to Cappy. And I just saw Kelly in Vegas. You know who that yeah, is? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she just locked in a fairly sizable wager, she said. Bears. So well, we'll see. We shall see. Thanks, Cap. Talk to you next week. See you, boy. Good to talk to you. David Kaplan's uh, brought to us by Centurion Stone of Iowa. Centurion Stone of Iowa, if you're looking for manufactured or natural stone to accent or update your exterior or interior project of any size, Centurion Stone, a variety of styles, patterns, and colors. In fact, over 200 of them. You can log on, centurionstone. Uh, centurionstoneofiowa.com. Tell them about the project. It's right there on the front page. Visit them in their showroom. Highly recommend doing that. 5525 Northeast 22nd Street uh, in Des Moines. Wade Looking Bill next. Alex Halstead on Iowa State still to come. Trent and I take you until noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station. 14th.
Hawkeyes, Cyclones, Panthers, and Bulldogs. Yeah, we got that covered. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Well, ready or not, here comes Big Ten play for the Hawkeyes tomorrow night. Hawkeyes on the road, Ann Arbor taking on Michigan. Let's get Wade Looking Bill in here. Of course, former Hawkeye joins us a whole bunch during the regular season, or during the season. We're certainly grateful uh, for that, and for the first time he's back with us, first of many times, as long as Wade is willing to join us. Hello, Wade Looking Bill. How are you? Did I guilt you into saying, yeah, I'd love to come on? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Anytime. Anytime. I need about 15 minutes notice, but... And that's that, that's hard to follow, David Kaplan. That guy is everywhere. I, I didn't know he coached that at, at Northern yeah. Illinois and recruited Kenny Battle and all that stuff. No, he did. That's where he cut his teeth. That's yeah. uh, his relationship. His wedding was uh, Izzo was Kevin O'Neill and Izzo were part of his wedding. Mm-hmm. Anyways, goes way back. But let's do the Hawkeyes, shall we? Yep, Iowa basketball. Yes. Um, Boy, oh boy, the the difference between Luca Garza sophomore to Luca Garza what we're seeing now, and I'm sure you played with guys like that all the time, right? That for what, maybe not necessarily from their sophomore to their junior, but just so improves it so drastically, significantly in a good way from one year to the next, and that's what we've seen with Garza. What's behind this? Do you think, Wait? Yeah. So with with big guys, it always takes a little longer. You know, and I think Luca, Luca was a really good player in high school. You know, I I, I think Maryland offered him, but you know, he didn't have Kansas, North Carolina, Duke because he's because he's not going to turn and 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 dunk on you. You know, he's he's not that type of athlete. But footwork wise and hand wise, I mean, he's a pro. He is unbelievable. Just the way he's developed and gotten better, and you know that that duck in and under. He's like Kevin McHale. You know, I don't, I'm not saying he's going to be an NBA Hall of Famer, right. but just the way he plays and with today's basketball, he can stretch the floor. He can pick and pop. He can knock down at a three late in the shot clock. So now you got to bring the other team's big out to guard him, or he's going to knock down, you know, 38% of those. But just, just hard work. You know, I know a little bit about the story with his family and, you know, just how they develop and what they do and how they work. And it's quite a story. Just, just a lot of hard work and uh, a little bit of talent mixed in, too. Wade, as we've watched this team unfold, and early on that loss to DePaul, where DePaul was hitting everything, and it's looked like um, more of the same. One thing, though, that I've been encouraged about watching Iowa Hoops this year is there seems to be more of an element of toughness there. And it's not just Luca Garza getting his lip cut up and Hmm. his nose in the middle of things, but when things start to go awry, this team doesn't drop their shoulders and drop their head like we've seen some of the past teams with McCaffrey. A little more toughness on this team. Do you see the same thing? I think so. I think so. And I can point to, well, to, to two kids, but, but, but one in particular, and I'll give an example. So Joe Toussaint, um, I think he grew up in the Bronx and he played, he played public school. I mean, there's a difference between right. growing up in New York and you know, that was this thing like with, like with Chris Weber. Chris Weber was from Detroit, but he went to private school. He went to Country Day, which is, you know, it's just a different basketball than where Jalen Rose played or where Jawan Howard played mm-hmm. or where Joe Toussaint played. In fact, there was a time in that Paul game when they were getting their butts kicked and they were getting embarrassed on their home court. And something happened, and Joe had the ball, and somebody bumped him, and and um, the kid from DePaul fell down, and it was kind of a bang-bang play. And Joe threw the ball at the kid, kind of kind of dropped it on his stomach and got a technical foul, which you never want to do. But it was kind of a signature moment, I thought, in that 
I just thought, good for him. Don't let these guys come in here, even though they're going to do it, but don't let them come in here and embarrass you on your home court. Fight back a little bit. Do whatever you can. And that's still kind of a Bush League play, but it just shows some toughness that, hey, I'm pissed off that we're getting our butts kicked. And even though you may get us tonight, you may not get us two months from now. And I just think, you know, DePaul is a lot better than people thought. And um, so I think with Joe and I think Cesar Frederick, you know, he's had mm-hmm. moments of, of toughness. You know, he's at two guard and he's kind of stocky and kind of thick. But a big part of these games, and if you look at the DePaul game with Iowa last night, Purdue beats Virginia by 30, college basketball is so much closer now to the NBA than it ever has been. And a couple reasons. One is that is this year now the 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 shot clock doesn't reset. So you get an offensive rebound, thirty second shot clock only resets to twenty. So you gotta keep firing the ball. So when when the Lakers go to Orlando mid January and lose by twenty seven, which something like that will happen, it's not that big a deal and it's getting to be that way in college basketball. You know, Virginia loses by thirty, Iowa loses by twenty five to the Paul. It's almost like, yeah, that's that's a bad game, but you know, we got 34 more. Let's just keep getting better. Mm. Wade Looking Bill is our guest, a former Hawkeye. Uh, you played against Juwan Howard. He's the, he's got this Michigan team on a on a roll. I mean, that was a long time ago. Wade's almost 30 years, but I'm guessing you never thought, well, there's a guy who's going to coach one day. He's a coach <laughs> on the floor. But just your thoughts on Juwan Howard, what he's doing, and how do you remember him when you used to face those Michigan teams? Yeah. Yeah, I'm really surprised he's coached. You know, he played almost 20 years in the NBA. And I, I forget the number, but he made like close to a quarter of a billion dollars. Crazy and money. He seems like a pretty smart guy, and you know, don't think he needs the money. His, and I'm surprised he wants to fly on a Tuesday night to Tulsa, <laughs> Oklahoma, watch some kid play. But right. you know, I, he's doing good things, and he's smart. If you look at his staff, you know, compare his staff to like Penny Hardaway at Memphis. You know, Penny's got got Mike Miller and ex-pro guys, but none of them have ever coached. And Jawan hired um, oh, who's the guy? Who's his assistant coach? Trent? I'm drawing a blank now, but um, uh, the, the, the old St. Joe's coach, uh, Phil Martelli. Yeah, think Phil Martelli, who's unbelievable, unbelievable yes. coach. And Jawan, you can tell, just with the, when they were over at, on their holiday trip, he was really listening to them. And I just see the difference between what Jawan's doing to what Penny Hardaway's doing in Jawan seems to be doing things the right way. Not that Penny isn't, but just just a different way, maybe. Um, he was a great player. I mean, it was funny because I always tell people that Jawan and Jalen Rose talked the whole time. Blah, blah, blah. He was good. I mean, low post moves. And, you know, he was one of those old school back to the basket guys. And Chris Weber never said a word. Never said hmm. a word the whole game. But Jawan would put a move on you and let you know. But always kind of in a, kind of in a fun way. You know, he just. Those guys were so good. They they knew they were going to make money playing basketball. And it was almost kind of college was just a stepping stone, just a lot of fun for them. I, I think it's great for the Big Ten. You know, the Big Ten basketball has got to keep getting better. You know, we've got to get better recruits. Ohio State's really good. And they've got to keep getting, you know, teams that are going to contend for national championships. It makes it harder for Iowa to win, but it's better for the conference. So, got a question for you. Going back and, and talking about the days when you were playing uh, Kenya Murray, one of your teammates, he's got a couple of sons yeah. that are going to be part of the team next mm-hmm. year. And a couple of kids that I remember watching them a couple of times at some tournaments that I saw, they 
six five, pretty smooth out there shooters. Not overly physical. Certainly not the defender that Dad was at least early on here. But they're both got commitments to Iowa. They signed back a couple weeks ago. Your thoughts on that? They're not highly regarded, highly recruited, but anybody that knows Kenny Murray are going to sing his praises and certainly his kid praises. But it's got to be pretty cool and maybe make you feel a little old. Get to see one of your teammates' kids uh, playing in the black and gold. Yeah, yeah. I was fortunate enough to play one year with Kenyon. He was a freshman when I was a senior, mm-hmm. and Kenyon was unbelievable, just athletic and, you know, came from Michigan. He was a tough kid and was one of the best defenders ever to play in Iowa. Yep. And I tell you, with his, with his boys, um, I think that year of prep school really has helped them. I think they're both 6'7", almost 6'8". Um, and again, the game has changed so much. You, know, you need shooters. You got to spread the floor. You got to get a couple post players, and then you got to spread the floor. And I think it's just it has changed so much where you need a lot of wing players. And you know, this year's class isn't super highly regarded. But I got faith in Fran, and you know, CJ Frederick looks like he's going to be a star. Hopefully, mm-hmm. he can stay healthy. And nobody wanted Jordan Bohannon. Heck, I won't even want him. But They've made him a, to a terrific college player, and if Fran thinks these guys can play, then I'm all in. And I like Kenyon, and I like his kids. And you know, yeah, they didn't have offers, but they kind of went a different route. And you know, if they get to Iowa and they're and they're great, that's terrific. And if and if not, then you know, maybe it's not the best fit for them or both of them or, or one of them. You know, transfers happen all the time, and all these kids want to come in and play right away. And not of all of them are. You know, do you want to register? Do you want to play? mop-up minutes for a couple years. Some kids do, some kids don't. I'm not saying that Kenyon's kids are in that mode or in that that, that model, but um, if they come to Iowa in general, just any recruit, and it works out great. If not, then you know we'll find somebody who wants to be there. Hmm. You know, I thought, and in, in, you know, prior to the year, maybe this was a simplistic way of looking at things, Wade. I thought that this team would go as far on on uh, any given night as, as Joe Wieskamp would take them. That, you know, if Wieskamp has a bad night, it's probably going to be a bad night for Iowa. The encouraging thing is, you know, he hasn't been asked at least yet to, you know, to carry this team. I think he can on nights when it's required, but it's, I think, a positive uh, that there's been more to it than just uh, Wieskamp taking this team on his back they're getting a lot of contributions yeah i think so you know someone said um he hit, he hit a little bit of flu when they were in vegas and wasn't 100 percent. and even that syracuse game i think him and guards had like i don't know what it was 18 of the first 22 you know so when the game was still in doubt he was really sharp he's still a kid too you know i i was really surprised when he was all big 10 preseason and naismith top 50 players in the country i mean he's a really good player but i i I don't know if I could argue he's one of the 50 best players in the country, um, but he's going to be really good. And I, I still think, and I know maybe a little more than than others, but not that much more. But I don't think Bohannon's going to play. That's my prediction. I'm with you. I think yep. he's got a couple games left. They were trying. It was December 1st. You know, they said if you're going to be 100 percent by de- by December 1st, let's go. And I think it really showed in that back-to-back quick turnaround in Vegas where he didn't play. You know, was that second game he didn't play against San or, or struggled? He struggled, struggled right? Against against San Diego, he had just had the one three, and even the other night he was wasn't he like one for nine? He was all for six to start. Yeah, is that yeah? And and that zone's different when you can just stand there. You you don't have to move around and create, and you know that zone. That's a whole other conversation, but that zone is antiquated. But um, <laughs> you know, Jordan could just stand out there and shoot and. 
you know, with this stretch coming up, you know, they got at Michigan, then they get Minnesota Monday, and they got big physical mm. guards, and that I, then at Iowa State Thursday, then they take a little time off, I think, for finals, but then they got to play Cincinnati right. and Chicago, who is athletic and big, and, and they're upset from last year. You know, I know different staff and things, but I just don't think he's going to play. I think he's got a couple games left, and if he's, they're going to sit him down. But if he does play, they got a chance. And even if he doesn't play, you know, I think they can patchwork enough between Connor's been solid, doesn't turn yep. over, and Joe Toussaint's going to get better, and Frederick can. They got enough pieces to make to make a run. I'm with you. Connor's been really good. Uh, Trent and I yes. are both uh, uh, Connor McCaffrey fans. We're Wade Bilking Bill fans as well. Wade, thank you for what you did for us today. <laughs> Look forward to doing this a whole bunch more uh, before they uh, put the basketballs away for the uh, season. Thanks, Wade. Looking Bill, I'll reach out to you. Okay. Thank- Thank you, guys. Call me time. Good to talk to you. Wade Looking, Bill, as we talk Hawks. Dylan Mods coming up next. We will go from the Hawks to the Clones. Iowa State conversation with Dylan next. Trent and I till noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. It's 24-hour sports, morning, noon, and night, here on 1460 KXNO. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO with you here until noon. Alex Halstead, Cyclone Alert 24-7 Sports, joins the program. Let's take a look back at last night's uh, win over UMKC. Get him on record as to where he will join the football team for their bowl game. Will it be Houston, Phoenix, or back to Memphis? Alex, Trent, and Ken, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Thanks for coming on. Let's. I guess let's start with there. Let's get the speculation from you. Uh, where will uh, you be staying over the holidays to follow the uh, Cyclones to their bowl destination? Where are you going to be? Well, I'm kind of starting to be between two places. I think you know the sounds of it is Iowa State could be between maybe the Liberty Bowl or the Cheez-It Bowl. Um, I think you know there's potentially some some interest. I think from Iowa State tend to maybe be in the Cheez-It Bowl purely because they've been in the Liberty Bowl several times this decade. If they do go back to the Liberty Bowl, they have gone to five bowl games this decade, and three of the five will have been to the Liberty Bowl. So I think for that, uh, man, it's point, I think uh, the cheese, it makes a little bit more sense. It obviously is a rung lower. Uh, the payout's a little lower, but the Big 12 does split its bowl right. uh, proceeds, and so that's not really a big deal. But the one issue that could be there if I say say wants to go to the cheese it Bowl just for something different is – if the Big 12 does get two teams in the New Year's Six Bowls, the Cheez It Bowl probably is not in play because you know the order of the picking goes Alamo, Camping World, uh, Texas Bowl, Liberty Bowl, Cheez It Bowl. Well, the Cheez It Bowl would be fifth on that list, and the Big 12 only has six teams. So you'd have two in New Year's Six, four, and you wouldn't get to that fifth bowl. And that means the, the Big 12 for sure won't fill the first responders bowl. They might not fill the Cheez It Bowl if uh, they don't get two teams in the New Year's Six. So. It's still a little bit complicated, but I think right now Iowa State's most likely probably between the Liberty Bowl and the Cheez-It Bowl unless something kind of happens with Baylor and Oklahoma. And just me jump in here, Trent. Uh, Cheez-It is a Pac-12 foe. Uh, Houston, if it is Texas, and I think that you sound like you, that you think that's a long shot. That's an SEC foe, I want to say. And Memphis could be. I mean, you could get anybody, right? Well, that's right. You know, the, the Cheez-It Bowl is supposed to be Pac-12, but as of now, the Pac-12 doesn't have enough teams unless they only get one team in the New Year's Six, and everybody in the Pac-12 would drop a spot, and that could potentially put someone like Washington State in the Cheez-It Bowl, uh, which would obviously be intriguing for the rematch purposes. I'm not sure if they would do that or not. But right now the Pac-12 does not have enough teams for the Cheez-It Bowl. When you look at the Liberty Bowl, it's supposed to be an SEC team, 
right now the SEC doesn't have enough teams for the Liberty Bowl. So if you go to the Liberty Bowl or Cheez-It Bowl, there's a really good chance, at least right now, depending on how this last weekend plays out, that it could be a group of five school. Uh, most people think the Texas Bowl is going to get Texas A&M. Uh, that takes Texas out. Uh, A&M is not interested in playing Texas, I think, according to our 24-7 uh, site over or down there in Austin. Uh, so it's going to have to be like an Oklahoma State type of school probably in the Texas Bowl. So, uh, yeah, there's still a lot of things at play. I think most people right now have Navy in the Liberty Bowl and Air Force in the Cheez-It Bowl. So opponent-wise, probably not as appealing as maybe most fans would like. I think most fans, from what I've seen, would like a Power 5 school. Uh, but it's still possible so someone like Cincinnati could fall into the Liberty Bowl if they lose to Memphis this weekend or something like that. So a lot to still kind of iron out, but right now it's not the most ideal year for the Big 12 because several of their bull opponents uh, won't be the conferences that they're supposed to actually match up with. You know, uh, you see a lot about the SEC and the way that they have changed kind of the bull selection process. It's bulls pick three through seven for uh, the four bowl games for the SEC. The Big Ten also has something like that. Does Bulls be in the Big 12? Do they get involved as heavily as some of the other conferences? And if Iowa State is really politicking to be sent to Phoenix, if that's a possibility, is there more pull than there used to be, at least with the conference? Yeah, my understanding is there's at least some back-channeling where schools kind of give them give the conference their preferences. Um, you know, obviously... You look at last year in Iowa State, the Camping World Bowl thought they were getting Iowa State. Um, they even they were upset even last night, I think, to Scott Docterman. They did, yep. They thought they were getting Iowa State until the Alamo Bowl, like kind of at the, the last hour, said, hey, we're taking Iowa State over West Virginia. And then they kind of took West Virginia. So there is some some of the situation is, you know, the Bulls can do what they want in their order. Uh, but I, I heard, um, I was in the press box, um, you know, in Manhattan Saturday, and I briefly caught um, the radio interview with uh, Gene Taylor, the Kansas State AD, and they had a Liberty Bowl rep there, and he made a comment about uh, on their radio show that um, they would send the league their kind of preferences and kind of talk with them. So I think there's probably some discussions going on with the Big 12 and Iowa State in the back and saying, hey, you know, if, say, Iowa State would prefer the Cheez-It Bowl, the Liberty Bowl, because I think the fans would go there better, or it's a better experience for the team. You have to not go there two times in three years. There's probably some discussions, and I, I don't know how it all plays out. And at the end, what people might say, we want Iowa State, and that's how it ends. But I think there's at least some discussions, just maybe not quite the same way as it's wide open in the other conferences. Uh, let's uh, switch to basketball. Of course, UMKC, the Kangaroos, paid a visit last night. It was closer and maybe not the uh, the prettiest game perhaps for Iowa State, but you know what? I think and I think a lot of people share this uh take uh Alex is, you know, coming off the the holiday tournament uh, and knowing that you've got Seton Hall, a really good basketball team uh coming. I mean, maybe this is unfair to UMKC, but it kind of looked like that look past, right? And it was certainly understandable uh that there were struggles at times for the Cyclones last night. Yeah, I think you're right. We talked to Steve Crome Tuesday, and one of the things he told us before we really got you know, in-depth with our questions was that he had told the team um, that he thought that would be the second toughest game for them to this point because the things you mentioned, they're coming off three high majors in three days, uh, went one and two, but had a couple close games with Michigan and Seton Hall, and then you have to come back home and, and play a team that uh, you know, Crome said he had some respect for at, at five and four. They'd hung with Liberty. They'd hung with uh, Oklahoma State uh, for parts of those games earlier this season. Um, but it's a game you're supposed to win at home as like an 18 and a half point favorite before you get Seton Hall in Iowa next week in a five day span. So, you know, he thought it was going to be a difficult game for that reason. Mentally, he said it was probably their second toughest game after the, the follow up game to Oregon State, which was kind of a similar scenario where you're coming back off a, a high major and, you know, coming back home and especially off a loss that time. But I think at times you're right. They looked okay. You know, they, they ended the first half on a little 5 0 spurt. 
uh, there right before half, and that gave them a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of padding on their score. Uh, they had an 8-0 run early in the second half. It looked like they were going to pull away up 12. Um, and, you know, what Steve Drome said was, you know, they just kind of got into these areas where the things just got stuck or they got stagnant, and they'd give up these four or five bad possessions and let, let uh, Kansas City back in it. Um, but when they played well, they looked good. You know, at the end of the game, a 15-0 run until a kind of a garbage three uh, there at the end, and they won by 18 points, and it's kind of the score you kind of expected. But, you know, it wasn't the type of game maybe – um, it, it, the game didn't play out quite like the final score maybe indicates. So uh, a homecoming for Javon White, who played at Ames High School, went to Oral Roberts, and then ended up uh, his career at UMKC. Played pretty well out there, and a guy I know that, that has connections, obviously, to Ames growing up there. Cool to see him get to play in Hilton one final time. Yeah, I know his, his family seems to enjoy it. I saw they had some front row seats, I think, right mm-hmm. behind the scores table, and uh, he had a big dunk, and you could hear his his mom over the PA system. She sit behind the PA, and so he's pushing the button to announce the dunk. And uh, I think she her voice maybe made it on. So I think yeah, there, it seems like there was a decent amount of Ames high people. Like you know, like he knew um, there, and obviously his family was there. I think his I for sure saw his mom and brother. So um, that's kind of always you know cool for some of those things to happen. I think I know Iowa State kind of tries to do that where. This is this probably just happened because of the way the schedule worked. But you know, sometimes Iowa State tries to go schedule games closer to home. You look at Solomon Young getting go. It's not California, but he got to go out to Oregon State, and that was the first time his mom saw him play since he'd been out Iowa State. So I know it's always cool when, whether it's Iowa State or another team, it has the ability to schedule a game closer to some of those uh, seniors or some of those older upperclassmen kids. Uh, you know, hometown. Alex Halstead, com, part of 24-7 Sports. Alex, it seems that uh, the Coach Prom is trying to find a, an increased role for George Condit, and understandably so. I think it's warranted. I mean, he was cleaning up on the offensive uh, into the glass last night. A lot of putbacks apparently scored double digits, had seven boards with Big 12 play on the horizon, then another big team coming in on Sunday with all the length that Seton Hall has. Uh, Condit's playing time. Would you expect this to continue to trend upwards yeah this is a kind of a, a thought that i had last night is how much will his minutes continue to increase and kind of what's the cap you know what's the point where they get to a minute and say okay this is kind of where he's going to be uh, because the way he's playing you got to probably start thinking about having him be a 25 type minutes per night guy um prome told us tuesday that was another thing he had mentioned to us was that is probably one of the more difficult things for him right now is finding the right balance of minutes between condit jacobson and young because he thinks all three of those guys are different type of forwards, and they've all done good things at different times. But I think Condit's starting to be, be the guy that's maybe the standout among them. And I think Sunday's going to be an interesting indication because um, that was a game, probably the worst game of Michael Jacobson's career when you look back at the Seton Hall game last Friday. Didn't score, went 0-2 from the field, 23 minutes. Um, and a lot of that was, I think, because of that size that they have. And uh, you look last night, and he had a rebound game where he had 19 points, has 15 points in the first half for Jacobson. Uh, but a lot of Jacobson's work last night when he was playing well was when Iowa State was going four guards and he was playing the five. Now, he kind of downplayed that, so that, you know, he scored a few baskets as the four with their big lineup. But I'm starting to kind of wonder if, if Jacobson is better when Iowa State's playing small ball and he's the five. Um, and then you got to kind of start mm. figuring out where Condit fits into that mix. Condit did play a little bit when they played four guards and he was the five. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Uh, but, you know, right now, Probably a difficult situation for Solomon Young. You only saw him play 11 minutes last night, and I think some of that is because Connett's been too good not to play. So finishing up here, back to some football. All Big 12 announced yesterday. 
three first-teamers, five guys on the second team. Chase Allen, of course, Charlie Kohler, first-team tight end. No surprise there. Second-team Chase Allen again. Now, he had 17 catches as opposed to, what was it, eight the year that he uh, won? Four, I think, four, five. Four that he won the award <laughs> here. Chase Allen, though, those coaches love Chase Allen, don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is the second straight year he's been second-team uh, All-Big 12 tight end. And uh, the word from the coaches has always kind of been that they notice him on – the, the, the interesting thing about these All-Big 12 polls is the one that came out yesterday is voted by the coaches. You can't vote for your own players, but you know you have 10 coaches voting or whoever votes. I think coaches maybe put a little more uh, insight into these than they probably do, at least uh, the preseason polls, which I feel is yeah. more like uh, some of their staff members. But um, the difference between that one and the one that's going to come out next week from the Associated Press, the one next week is going to be from media. And I think media have a lot harder time of voting on the non-skill players especially the offensive linemen, you know, you don't see all the tape that the coaches see. And so I think it's always interesting to see the, the coaches vote for um, for the linemen and even some of the tight ends because some tight ends like Chase Allen is so key and so integral into blocking. And I think that's one thing we've heard from Campbell that he does really well is he's probably the most complete tight end just in terms of, you know, just kind of doing what's on the course in terms of the, the pass game. But his, his blocking is probably maybe the best of those guys alongside Dylan Sainer. So I think – we're starting to see the last two years that these Big 12 coaches have a lot of respect for what Chase Allen's doing outside of the passing game, and that's one thing coaches can notice that maybe we don't notice as much as they do. Good point. Absolutely. Alex Halstead, thank you, Alex. We appreciate you coming on. We will uh, talk to you, well, a week from today, pretty big basketball game up yeah. in Ames. Uh, guessing we will uh, we'll discuss that. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Good to talk to you. Alex Halstead, CycloneAlert.com. All right, Trent Condon, uh, we started the show. We both have a Cowboys feel to yes. this one. Yes. I'm guessing in the two hours haven't moved you at no, all. No, Cappy could not sway me. Yeah, he likes, he likes his Bears tonight. He's always optimistic, though, isn't he? He really is. He's an optimistic dude. Yep. There were times... I mean, you get down on your Jets quite often, your Broncos quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You're not the most optimistic fan. You know I'm not the most optimistic fan. You ever wish you had that kind of part of your DNA, your sports DNA? No. <laughs> no, you you really don't want to don't. set yourself up for failure? No, I don't. That's how I look at it, too. Yeah, okay. I don't want to be disappointed. I've been enough already. Well, it should be a fun football game tonight. Let's hope so. Absolutely. All right, uh, Murph and Andy at 2, and then the Fanatics at 4, or a facsimile of both shows. On uh, the Morning Rush, we'll be back tomorrow at 6. Trent and I will be here tomorrow. Well, at 10 o'clock, it's Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO.